Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. As my sons say, I'm as old as dirt. At this end of my life, I find myself getting around a lot more. Not long ago, I took a trip, and uh, I was in, let me see if I can get this straight, I was in Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, New Jersey, California, the Marshall Islands, uh, Pompeii, Chuuk, and finally got back home. So I've spent a lot more time on airplanes in the last, oh, say 10 years of my life by far than I did in the first 60 years of my life. And one of the things you get used to when you're riding on an airplane you have to put up with uh, people telling you how to fasten the seatbelt, those kinds of things. After you've been on an airplane for a while, at least I do, I feel like I have a certain persona to keep up with. You know? now, now, I'm nowhere near the quadruple platinum that your pastor is, uh, but I do have a few miles, and so when they say, please pay attention to the monitor or pay attention to the cabin attendants as they give this demonstration. I don't pay attention. I get my magazine out, I get my iPad out, and I start reading a book. It's like I know all this stuff. When I hear the come over the public address system, I couldn't pay attention to it if I wanted to, but I don't pay attention to it anyhow. But every once in a while you hear something from the front of the airplane that gets your attention. I'm told that this happened to a traveler uh, when the pilot came over the public address system and said, I have good news and bad news. The bad news part of the statement got the passenger's attention. And then the pilot proceeded to say, the good news is we are making excellent time. The bad news is I have no idea where we're going. Now, you are starting a series on discipleship. You're having an emphasis on discipleship. It is about making followers. And the Apostle Paul not only encouraged people to follow Christ, this scares me. The Apostle Paul was bold enough to say, follow me. You better know where you're going. An essential part of Discipleship is teaching, teaching. Because you have to have some content to pass on to people so that you can walk with them in the right direction. Titus chapter 2 is a passage that is all about teaching. I'm going to read the passage in just a moment. We're going to read it in bites and make some comments in between you'll see that there's something that applies to each one of you. But before we do that, I want to encourage you to take a piece of paper, a scrap of paper. You're welcome to take one of the church's bulletins or one of the church's envelopes, use the back of it, as long as you put at least a quarter in the offering plate because that's about what the envelope's worth, all right? If you have a gum wrapper or something in your pocket, it's sufficient. If you want to use your cell phone, that'll work just fine. Don't write on your cell phone, you know, type in it, okay? Four words, you see them on the screen. 
I encourage you to write down these four words, who, how, what, where. Leave yourself some space. Now, while you're writing those words, let me pass on a word of greeting. And actually, I bear valuable gifts, and I brought something for your pastor so that he can write down things he needs to remember, and uh, so he can drink coffee on Thursday morning and at other times. So if you want to get that now, Pastor Mark, thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. And I bring greetings from Pacific Islands University. A couple of our students came along with me. I've got a couple of advertisement pieces, uh, not anywhere close to enough for everyone, but you're certainly welcome to do that. In Titus chapter 2, there are five groups of people that are going to be addressed, and I think that they correspond to those of us here. Now, how many of you here are in middle school or high school? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, you're going to disagree with what I say here in a moment, at least some of you will. One of the five groups that are talked about in Titus chapter 2 are slaves. Now, I maintain that we do not have any slaves here. This is where some of you teenagers may disagree with me. You may say, well, what, what do you mean? I have to take the garbage out. My mother doesn't pay me anything. Yeah, she expects me to clean my room. You know, slavery. No, you're not a slave, trust me. So we're just going to skip over that portion when we come to it. And so I'm going to read. I'll make some comments and pay special attention when we get to that part that applies to you. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul speaks directly to Titus. Now, Titus wasn't exactly a pastor like Pastor Mark introduced me as a pastor. Pastor Mark's a pastor. You have other pastors here. Titus wasn't exactly like that, but he's about the closest match that we have here in this equation today. And so Titus tells, or excuse me, Paul tells Titus and people like him, like me, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now it's interesting, and I will say some more about this this morning, that this word teach is actually a broader word than what I'm doing right now or what your math teacher does in school, students. It's literally to talk. Talk the things that are in keeping with sound doctrine. And then you'll notice he begins with one of the groups in verse 2. Older men, people like me, are to be sober-minded, dignified, go to the next slide if you will, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now beginning in verse 3, next slide, he talks about a group that I am told theoretically there are such people. I personally have never met anyone that I was comfortable addressing this way. But I am told that there are older women and, uh, no, actually, my wife is a beautiful model of this, and beautiful in every sense of the word. Those of you that have met her know that. And to this group of older women, we read this. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, 
not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Next slide. Now the text changes to a different group of women. And I kind of think, because of the way the text is put together, that probably the difference is these younger women are women who are either in the age of, at which they could have children, or they have children in their home, much like you saw here at the baby dedication a moment ago. And you'll notice somewhat of a shift, because it is the older women here who are to do the teaching. And so, these older women, and so, train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Next slide. And then finally, we come to this group of young men. Now, it's interesting I find that out of all the things that are to be taught, what is to be taught to young men is the shortest. <laughs> There's just one thing, okay? Listen to this. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. I can almost hear Paul putting his arm around Titus and say, Titus, if you can get him to do that, you've accomplished a lot, you know? <laughs> now, there it is. Now, I mentioned that... Uh, uh, Paul started by talking to Titus. He comes back to him, uh, beginning in verse 7, and he says to Titus, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Now, I'm going to skip verses 9 and 10, and then go to the next slide. You'll notice verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now, this is a chapter that is obviously all about teaching within the body of Christ. Teaching is clearly a part of the disciple-making process. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, uh, we read that we are to go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, then teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The command, the imperative there, is making disciples. And there are three things that hold that up, like a three-legged stool. You've got to go. You bring them to that point of conversion, baptism, and you teach them. And so teaching is an integral part of the disciple-making process. It is something that we very, very much need to hold on to if indeed we are going to walk uh, in the way that the Lord wants us to walk and move through this discipling process. It needs to take place here on Guam. It needs to take place anywhere in the world where there's a body of people who love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's look at this word who. We have 
looked at what the Apostle Paul was saying to Titus, who was on the island. You're interested to know that Titus ministered on an island that was bigger than Crete, but it was surrounded by water, just like Guam, 2,000 years ago. But these words apply very clearly to us. Let's ask a question. Who is responsible for this teaching? Now, if you're not careful, you will give the easy answer. I heard a thousand different ways this answer come to me in my years of ministry. Well, Pastor Mark's responsible to do the teaching. That's why we pay him the big money. That's why he has the nice car. So that he can do... Well, yeah, we saw that in verse 1. You see it again in verse 15. But there's a whole lot of other people here that are responsible for teaching, as we saw in this text. In fact, I believe we can make the point that every one of us are. Now, one of the things that I teach from time to time at Pacific Islands University, I, I teach theology. They won't let me teach the high-end stuff, but, you know, some of the lower-level kind of things I get to teach. And I use some good books when I'm teaching theology. I notice in every theology book I have looked at, there is a serious doctrine that is missing. In none of the theology books that I look at, have I ever seen the doctrine of minding your own business? But it's an incredibly important doctrine. And people get it wrong all the time. People read Titus chapter 2 and all the old men. Yeah, those, uh, those older women, they, they need to be dignified, you know. They need to, to do, teach what is good. Because if they would, then I'd have more time to go fishing. <laughs> and you know, the, the older women, oh, you know, they get together, sip their tea. Let me tell you about my husband. Yeah. And you know, once again, you high schoolers, middle schoolers, oh, those young people, oh, and can't they just turn that music down, you know? And the young people, ah, uh, man, if it weren't for all these old guys, like that guy standing in front of us right now trying to talk to us, if it weren't for all those old people messing everything, we could really do something. No, don't do that. Because the only thing, the only person that we really have the opportunity to change, the only person that we can really ensure that they grow, that they learn, that they amount to something, is the person I see when I look in the mirror. Or wait a minute, let me get modern. People don't use mirrors anymore. They look at their cell phone. <laughs> I'm old school, what can I say? All right. Pay attention to what this text is saying to you. And so the who here, it really comes down to each one of us, but we're going to do that in a different way. Go to the next slide. Uh, one more. Yep. Notice the, the way this teaching flows in this text. Click over to the next one. It makes a great deal of sense. Paul has already taught Titus, and he's continuing to teach him by writing this letter to him. Titus is to teach others. 
Then you'll notice that it is the older women who are to teach the younger, and the older men, because uh, it says likewise, so I think that probably the same dynamic is taking place, the older men are to teach the younger. And so you have the leader who is teaching the one who's being led, you have the older who is teaching the younger, you have those who have more experience who are teaching those who have a great deal of life in front of them. But one way to put it is they are doing life together. It reminds me very much, next slide, of something that I see in the Old Testament, the Shema. It was the plan of God that Israel be surrounded by his word. When you sit down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, nail it on the doorpost when you come in the house, you know, put it on your wrist, put it on your head. And I think that is the same kind of image that we have in this passage. Now, I do not believe that Paul expected Titus to have a seminar every Wednesday on how to be an old man for Jesus and on every other Thursday to teach the old women about how to be dignified and teach the young women. And certainly Paul didn't want him teaching the young women. And then, he, you know, every, what, every fifth Thursday he was going to have a seminar on how to be a slave for Jesus? We skipped over that? No. He was supposed to talk from here and everywhere else. He was supposed to talk that which accords with sound doctrine. Now, he's not talking about a Honda automobile here, okay? That which fits with it, that which lends itself to. Now, that word sound doctrine, you will find some translations translate the word doctrine as teaching. Uh, because if I am teaching, that's a verbal thing, verb, I'm doing an action. If you take what I teach and you put it together, then you have my teaching or my doctrine about that. Some people really get upset about the word doctrine. Oh, we don't, we don't believe in any doctrine. We just believe in the word of God. I'm thinking here whether I should use this word or not. Some people say I shouldn't use this word. I'm going to do it. That's stupid. What the Word of God says about any subject is the doctrine of that subject. That's all it is. Don't get hung up on the Word. Now, some people have wrong doctrine. Yeah. Some people like the New York Yankees. That doesn't mean that baseball is a bad game. They're just wrong about it. Sound is a word that is used in another place to describe a person after Jesus healed him. He was sound. And so the leadership of a church ought to be saying that which is in keeping with sound doctrine. Let me give you an illustration. One of the things that I like to do, and I do it some at Pacific Islands University, is I am involved in doing hands-on things. I, you know, you can see from my thumb there, I was involved with a table saw one time. 
I, I, I like to build things, do things. Victor Billy works with me on doing that. And uh, a while back, I told the students, we were going to do some work projects during some time off we had, and I told them, I said, listen, if you'll come and work with me, we'll show you how to do some things, and at the end, you'll be proud of what you did, and they were, and you'll learn some skills you can use for something else. Now, I, I told them how to use a saw without cutting their thumb off, those kind of things. And they can use that skill to build a birdhouse, to build a bench, to build a picnic table, if they stay with it, to build a whole house. And you see, the church should have that kind of envelope of things that are said that are in keeping with sound doctrine so that the different individual groups within the church, and we saw four of them, there are probably 20, 30, 100 more that we could name, so that people can take that framework of sound doctrine and can apply it to the situation of people that are dealing with cancer, of people that are dealing with addictions, of, of, uh, of people that are struggling with life crises, of people that are trying to make up their mind what they're going to do next, of old people like me who still haven't finished growing up. We can make application of that. And that's the paradigm that we have here. Now, it reminds me again, and I'll be very quick, next slide. It reminds me of something that Paul said to Timothy. That there is this, uh, somehow I'm messed up here. Let me just go with this one. What we have here is uh, this teaching, the principles which then lead to the specifics. And we're able to make use of that in the place where we are. Click the next one. I'll see if I'm where I'm supposed to be. Ah. Well, let's look at the how. Just pretend how is circled there. What kind of teaching? What kind of teaching should we be doing in the church? Well, we see several different words. We've already looked at one odd concept, and that is several times in this passage, there really is no word for teaching. When it talks about the old men, when it talks about the older women, when it talks about the slaves, it just immediately jumps to the kind of behavior that we're after, which, by the way, is a very important point. What is taught in the church is not just to make us smarter. What is taught in the church is to make us better not just so that we can know and believe right, or not even so we can feel right, although all of those things are important, but so we can do right. What you do on Thursday morning is probably far more important than how you feel or what you think on Sunday morning, because that's where the pressure is when we're out there living. And so... The kind of teaching we're after is pointing to a behavior. Uh, you'll notice as well that uh, there's some other words for uh, teaching that are given here. We find the, the word in verse 4, the word train. I think we're going to need to go a couple slides here because I'm editing as I go. There is this basic 
kind of teaching that takes place that has to do with training. It is a, a word that uh, is a very, very practical word. There's a kind of teaching that it talks about what the old women are to do, that they are to teach that which is good. Oftentimes we teach all kinds of things, and that's the problem. Are we teaching that which is good? Are we helping people go in the right way? There is a word that uh, comes all through this chapter that has to do with self-control. Literally, to think right. Now, I'm involved in education. That's one of the things we do. We want to help people think right. But do you think right in a biblical sense? Are you able to think in ways that will lead to godly decisions? In verse 6, we find that the young men in particular need encouragement. It's a word that's kin to one of the names of the Holy Spirit, the one who is called alongside to help us. They don't necessarily need to be preached at, certainly not yelled at, at least not all the time. Sometimes you have to to get their attention. But we need to come alongside them. And so we have this teaching that flows from the clear principles of Scripture. It focuses on what needs to be done. It encourages sound thinking. It's not somebody that's from up on high yelling down at us, but it's somebody who comes down beside us. And like Paul told Titus, to show them by an example. So let's look at the what. Go to the next slide. What is the context of this teaching? At Pacific Islands University, we have two main courses of study. We have a side that is involved in studying Bible and theology. We have a side that is a general liberal arts education, which includes Bible and theology as part of that. Now, there are different kind of nuances that you can go in each of those programs. In other words, if you come to Pacific Islands University, and I think the same is about University of Guam, GCC, any school in the world that's worth anything, you don't just get to go there like you're going to a cafeteria and say, oh, yeah, I, you know, I'll take one of those classes and one of those classes and three of that kind. Yeah, that's about, that'll, that'll about do me. No, you, you have to take the classes that you're told to take. Now, when you go to a physician, especially if it's the kind of physician that does surgery. You have a degree, yep, I've got a degree from the Howard Merrill Medical School. Well, what did you take? Well, I took a whole year of dog catching. And, and then I, I learned how to grow flowers. And I was just really enamored with politics, and so I took political science for a while. Do you know anything about surgery? No, but we'll work through it somehow. There needs to be some kind of controlling program. Well, you will notice down toward the end of the chapter, notice in verse 11, it begins with the word for. It's a little word we tend to skip over. It's just three, three letters, either in Greek or in English. And the word points back to something and emphasizes it. The word is pointing back to the various kinds of teaching we've been talking about. 
And it's going to emphasize that, and it's going to make clear that these are not isolated, standalone kind of things. Click the next slide. What we have is really a curriculum. We could call it the grace plan. We love grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Or the newer version about, you know, my chains are gone, I've been set free. We love that, and rightly so. But we make a serious mistake if we think that God's grace comes to me so he can take me to heaven. If the purpose of my salvation is to take me to heaven, then God's wasted 58 years. I got saved when I was 12. Why in the world have I been hanging around these last 52 years, 58 years, excuse me? Now, there's a whole lot more to it than that. And we read that this same grace, verse 11, 12, 13, it's going to lead to us eternally being with the Lord. Praise God for that. But in between those two points, the grace that saves us, the grace that will take us to heaven, in between that, grace is teaching us. And that's the overall curriculum that should be guiding what is taught in this church or any church that's plugged into the Word of God. Out of God's grace comes salvation, and out of that same grace comes Christian living. The next slide. And so where is this headed? If I enroll in this grace plan, and as a young man, an old man, a young woman, an older woman, even a slave, if I listen to the curriculum that God has for me, where is it going to lead? Well, I've been mostly reading from the ESV, and I'm told that's what most of you bring with you. It's an excellent translation. But for this purpose, the, the NIV is really helpful. Because the NIV translates a particular Greek word the same way every time you find it here in Titus chapter 2. You'll notice it in verse 2, verse 5, verse 6, and verse 12. It's the word that the NIV translates as self-controlled. And I think if you read those verses, you'll figure out what the word is. Self-controlled. And it is that word I was talking about a while ago that means right-minded, right-thinking. You see, I live in a world that is different than the one that I started out in when I was the age of these students that are with me. And their kids are going to live in a world that's entirely different. I can't teach you everything you need to know to live in the world you're going to live in because I don't know what that world's going to be like. But I can teach you those big principles. And if you will master them, then you can, in fact, make those decisions that you need to when you get there. It's right-minded. It's kind of like the biblical concept of wisdom. You ever know somebody that's wise? They know what to do even if they've never done it before. They, they have an idea of where to go even when they're in a strange place. They're wise. 
They're able to read things. Okay, this teaching does that. It makes us right-minded, self-controlled. And clearly, number two, this teaching is not just about what we know. It is about what we do. Christ did not redeem us so we could be the smartest people on this island or anywhere else. He redeemed us so that we could, in a unique way, be his people. Notice what it says. Eager to do what is good. Not eager to learn some more stuff so we can impress others. But eager to do. Now that's based on what we know. But that's the outflow of it. And so I think if I can finish, not with a picture on the screen, but with a picture that I'll attempt to make here. I believe what Titus chapter 2 is telling us, I need to find two people. Now it could be a whole lot more, but let's just begin with two. And I need to find one person who isn't as far along in this journey as I am. I think that's why we have the older women teaching the younger women, etc. I need to find that person, and I need to take, grab them this hand. And I need to look around and find somebody else, somebody that's further along the line than I am. And sometimes that's going to be somebody in a book, okay? It's better if it's a flesh and blood person. And I need to take this hand and hold on to him. And I need to be part of this flow. You see the way the flow is going here? I need to be a part of this flow. I, I'm learning. I'm growing. I am, in a sense, that young man that's learning from the older man. I am, in another sense, that older man who is passing on something to the younger man. And I think as I'm in this flow that there ought to be a desire. I want to be like that guy. I want to be like that guy. I think that's what Titus wants. I want to be like Paul. Wow. That's what discipleship's about. And teaching's an integral part of it. Thanks for letting me share with you. Thank you, Howard. Grace teaches. Turn to your neighbor and say, Grace teaches. And then turn and say, are you in the flow? So thank you, Howard. I really appreciate your time with us. Let's pray. Thank you that you have a curriculum for us. Lord, a general one in your word, which is, wow, we'll spend a lifetime learning. And yet there's also a personalized curriculum, God, where you are teaching us lessons within our relationships and circumstances. And Lord, I pray that we would do well that we would learn and pass every test, and that we would pass it on as we get in the flow. And so if you would just take a moment here in the privacy of your heart and mind and just ask the Lord, God, what is it that you're teaching me? What is your grace teaching me? I want you to take a moment just to perhaps get some clarity about what that is. And as something comes to mind, I want to invite you just to respond in your heart between you and the Lord and say, God, I want to learn this. Help me pass the test. And Lord, help me to pass it on. And so if there's something that came to mind specifically, I just want to 
you to join me in a prayer. Father, I want to be teachable, and so I present myself to you, and I ask you that you would help me learn this lesson or these lessons. And Lord, out of a gracious heart, would you help me to teach others the same thing that you've been teaching me? Lord, help me to align myself with you and flow with your grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Have a great Sunday. God bless you guys.